Welcome to the Bill Kelly Podcast. I'm Bill Kelly. Well, we do our weekly political roundup with a focus on the trucker convoy on its way to Ottawa this weekend. That and more with former Toronto Star journalist Richard Brennan. What happens to patients when they leave acute care hospitals but can't go home because of COVID? Well, the new reality global team has a new show that's going to be airing this Saturday. We'll talk with Carolyn Jarvis about that. And the Hamilton Tiger Cats and wide receiver Brandon Banks have mutually parted ways. Brooke Zamprin joins me to discuss his legacy with the Tiger Cats. It's all coming up in the Bill Kelly Podcast, and it starts now. Today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. Let's focus on what's going to be happening in Ottawa this weekend. And, uh, well, there's some concern about the protest that's been going winding its way across the country. And uh, they were in the neck of the, well, the Hamilton-Toronto GTA area, and they're expected to land in Ottawa uh, probably for the weekend. Jess Marin Davis is the president of Insight Threat Intelligence, a security agency. Uh, and she was talking to Global News, and she says the problem is, when you're trying to assess exactly what's going to be happening here, is not everybody involved in this thing is there for the same reason. There are always going to be people who sort of jump on movements and are, are sort of fringe elements and sort of co-opt the movement in a way that, it takes it in a direction that the initial organizers aren't intending. I think in this case, though, some of the people actually associated with the organization have said and done some fairly not mainstream things in terms of their views on race and immigrants. I think that there's an element here that is a bit more mainstream in this convoy and in this protest movement that everyday Canadians aren't necessarily supporting and they aren't necessarily aware of it. Well, uh, that's... A good lead off for what we want to get into right now, our weekly session uh, with our good friend Richard Brennan, former journalist with the Toronto Star, who uh, has covered Queen's Park and Parliament Hill for many, many years. Badger, welcome to the program. Um, This is no shortage of things to talk about. Uh, Before we get into the nuts and bolts of what may happen in Ottawa, what's your assessment on what you've seen so far with uh, with this this cross-country protest? A few things, Bill. I think this protest is just a symptom for the truckers. It's just a symptom of a greater problem for the, for truckers. And, and that is, you know, many things. It's the soaring price of fuel, the fact that they're not, they have to work even longer to make even a, what you'd call a half decent wage where the shippers, the, you know, the big stores like Walmart, you know, they grind down the shipper's price and they, the shipper's price grinds down the trucker's, you know, uh, price and, and you know, so forth. And so I think this is just, like I say, it's just a part of a bigger problem. But now it's no longer a, a protest by truckers. It's It's been kind of blown into this rage against just about anything. People are, are attending these uh, protests now who are mad at the world for one reason or another, maybe rightly so, maybe not. But so it's sp- it spread out beyond the truckers' protests, and that's what frightens me. In terms, and I think, I think the security person you uh, spoke to earlier nailed it, is that it's become, it's become, uh, it's been co-opted by the far right and you only have to read that manifesto that the uh, that's been put out, which one uh, reporter described as being written in crayon, and that's yeah. about it. It just tells you that these folks, it, it, they don't could care less about the truckers. They they want they want to just rabble rouse. They want to overthrow the government. They want to do this. They don't. They want to do that. So the the anti-vax movement just is a convenient vehicle for them. Well, and we saw that. I mean, as I mentioned, you know, they, they 
we're in the Hamilton area yesterday, and I know we our, our reporters uh, went down there and tried to cover it. And uh, some of the, actually they weren't very feeling very comfortable being in the, some of those crowds. But some of the posters and some of the signs that were hung up, you know, like throw J- Trudeau in jail. Trudeau's a traitor. Through the it's got nothing to do with the price of gas or the price of vaccines or the mandatory vaccines. It's, these are people that just hate government. It's probably the same ones that followed Trudeau around during the election last year and threw rocks at him. That's that's the mindset right now. As you say, they're extremists. And uh, any opportunity or any vehicle, if you use the bad pun here, that they can use to try to, to further their cause, they're going to do this. Well, it tells you what kind of crowd it was when they were spitting on reporters and pushing reporters around. That's that's not a, that's not a uh, a peaceful protest. That is a bunch of folks who are just looking to make trouble, and they're they're headed to Ottawa, and you know what? There's going to be ten thousand people camping out in Ottawa. I, I, I have some, get back, I have sympathy, some sympathy for the truckers, believe me, because of all the things I cited before, including the soaring price of fuel. But this vaccine business, they're a minority. They're trying to, they're trying to swing the majority towards their favor, and it's not going to work. A lot of people just think they're a bunch of crackpots, and some of them are. So this well, is... You know, when I talk to the folks associated with the industry, and we've had a number of them on the program over the last three or four days, including the, you know, the National Trucking Alliance, uh, first of all, they don't support this. They say this is the wrong way to do this. Uh, And the stats you've seen and I've seen on this, I think it's about 85% of Canadian truckers are already vaccinated, fully vaccinated. So, like, who are these people and who are they representing? I mean, the, the vaccination thing, I think, has very little to do with that. And, and I understand, and I feel, I, I have sympathy too. I've talked to some of the people that run these companies, some of the people that drive truck. Yeah, and the price of, f- of fuel is in- incredible, and it's ridiculous. And, and the pressure on these guys now because of uh, what's going on with the pandemic, I get that. But there was no protest. There was no cross-country protest when the price of fuel went up. Uh, you know, it's, this is, it's, it's a lame excuse. And then, as you mentioned, the manifesto, the governor general and the Senate to get together. I mean, come on, people. Now, take a civics class, for God's sakes. You can't do that in this country. <laughs> well, and, to even people, suggest that, there is no no opportunity in the Constitution of this country that says the Governor General and the Senate can boot the, the Prime Minister and the Premiers out and say, okay, we're in charge now. It doesn't happen that way. Well, I think one of the truckers quote in the start of days, Naily said, it, there's, this, there's no, this protest serves no purpose. The United States has already passed a law that said you've got to be vaccinated to go into the United States as a trucker. Yeah. So, what, Where's the so, protest in the states about this? Yeah. So what's it all about? This is about people being sick and tired of being cooped up and affected by the pandemic. And God, that's most of us, quite frankly. That's not yeah, the minority. We're, yeah. we're all tired of it. But to, to strike out or lash out and say, you know, that Trudeau is, you know, a traitor. And that's that's language of the very alt-right in the states. And that's that's who's co-opting this whole protest. And you can see it, you know, some of this, you know, already the the alt-right supporters in the United States are fanning the flames and, and applauding, you know, the protests, et cetera, et cetera. That's what this is all about. They couldn't care less about the truckers. This is about putting forward their crazy crackpot ideas. All right. And and to what end? And as you mentioned, though, I, I heard that clip, too, from one of the truckers that just said, you know, you don't like it. Go get a job someplace else. I mean, we, we, that's what the requirements are. Uh, 
healthcare workers have to be vaccinated. Uh, civil workers, I mean, you know, government workers have to be vaccinated. It's mandatory for them too. I didn't see any cross-country protests when that started to happen. And you have to wonder, and ultimately, I guess you just nailed it. What do they hope to accomplish? Do you really and truly think that this government's going to say, okay, we changed our minds, we're not going to do this? It's a North American policy now in both Canada and the United States. Get over it. Deal with it. You may not like it, but if you want the job, this is one of the requirements for it. Same as it is for a number of other people in, in North America right now. There are some people that have been told you want to keep your job, you have to get vaccinated. You know, if you... I, I just don't understand what these guys think they're going to do. Do you really and truly think the government's going to acquiesce and change it? It's not going to happen. Never has. And, and no, it won't. And, uh, but, you know, they want to, they want to rage. They want to, they want to, you know, stamp their feet and shout and, and clap and everything. Fine. Absolutely. Go ahead. Sure. That's pro- that you're allowed it, to do that. Protest is, is part absolutely. of the democracy. I get that. It was a your expression, you know. I I don't agree with your point of view, but I'll fight for you the right to have it. Yeah. And and that, but if it turns into something else, and that's a whole different story. And you know, I, I said, I think I tweeted yesterday. You know, put let's put this protest in perspective. You know, you know, Ukraine's worried about people are there fear that Russia is going to attack them at any moment. In other countries, they live in fear of losing their lives from one, you know, taken by one faction or another. And we have a protest in Canada, albeit, you know, they have every right to do it, over the fact that they don't want to get a needle. Oh, boy. <laughs> you know, it just it's just so silly. I, you know, just it makes you shake your head. Well, and, and like I say, I, I get that. You know, you want to protest, you want to pro. We've seen that happen, and there have been other protests. Let's face it, it's it's one of the, the rules of democracy. I mean, you've been, I think we talked about this in a previous program. You go over to London, England, uh, and there's a, there's a little parkette that's uh, right across the road from the Parliament buildings, and it's, it's basically called Protest Square, because if you've got a protest, that's where you do it. In other words, they know people are going to do that, and every time you go over there, there's an encampment of some description and some posters, and because they're not allowed on the on the grounds of the Parliament buildings, but they, they can make their their point. Uh, maybe we need to do that. Well, there have been a lot of protests on the front line of Parliament Hill. Knock yourself out. That's that's part of the de- democratic process. But you're not going to change the government's mind, uh, especially, okay. you know, pu- public opinion. You know, what is it? About 65, 70 percent of the people are in favor of what the government's doing. They may not think it's, you know, the best thing to do, but given the circumstances with the pandemic. Uh, our, our friends at uh, Maris uh, Public Opinion did a, a survey on this the other day. What is it? Only 28% of the people they surveyed think the truckers are doing the right thing. So, you know, who's on their side? People that hate the government. That's who's on their side. They don't. Yeah. Well, they have, they have the, you know, they have the crackpots. They have, you know, they, they're on their side. You have people, um, there are people there, you know, we can't overlook this. There are people there with legitimate concerns. Yes, there are. Various things. And, and so be it. But to get back for your one point there, uh, Bill, I think we should bring back. Remember the old city TV booth in downtown Toronto, where you could go in there and yeah, put a dollar yeah. in and, Young and, and r- <laughs> rave about anything you wanted to. You know, I'm so mad. I don't know why. <laughs> you know that kind of thing. But yeah, it. it, it I just I understand the ra- the anger people have. It's about many things, and that we have to be concerned about that. We can, I, I don't want to make light of it too much because. People have legitimate concerns about various things. 
but I think to to hook onto this uh, truck uh, protest wagon, uh, I think is making a big mistake because it's not going to go anywhere. Well, and I guess what really I, I you know frost my cornflakes too is is the politicians that take advantage of this uh, and for their own political good. And we've seen that with some of the tweets and some of the comments, especially of course from some of the the opposition members right now. Uh, you know, blaming Trudeau for this and blaming Trudeau for that. I'm not I'm, I'm not a big fan of the prime minister myself, but. Uh, you've got to be you know, understanding that. Look at this, these, a lot of these things, like supply chain and, and inflation, are global problems. They don't—they weren't created here in Canada. And and if you want a lightning rod and hate somebody, that's fine too. I mean, that happens. You know, when you're the the, the prime minister of this country, you know you're going to be a, a focus and a target in situations like that. But for members of parliament to further incite these people by basically telling half truths. You know, one of them tweeted the other day that Canadians are going to starve now because the, the this vaccine mandate. Give me a break. I mean, come on. Well, we got Hillier uh, calling, calling for what practically calling for the prime minister's head. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I mean, are you kidding me? I mean, honest to God, like get a, get a grip on yourself, Mike. You can't, you can't rave on and and incite people like that. You know, there's laws against that, and particularly when you're a politician. You're supposed to rise above the fray, not get down there and join them. Well, I mean, we saw that last January in Washington, didn't we? Where, you know, I mean, when, when these guys were scared that they were actually going to be victims of this whole thing. I mean, a lot of the Republicans were cowering under their desks in their office while it was going on. And, of course, you know, 24 hours later, they're condemning everybody but them. So, you know, and all of a sudden saying these guys, would, you know, the, 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 the spin they put on it, you know, this was a, a legitimate exercise and it was just a peaceful protest. It's amazing how things can change. And I'm my big concern right now is I, I hope nothing goes crazy over the weekend in Ottawa, uh, you know, because the, there are some fringe elements that are involved in this, uh, and and I'm afraid that they they've already co-opted this whole thing, this whole this whole protest. I don't know what their agenda is. I don't know what they're planning to do over the weekend in Ottawa, and I just hope it doesn't spin out of control. I want to know where the money's going that they've yeah. raised. You know, yeah. we, they six million dollars. Yeah, six million dollars. They've taken out a million dollars. If that's going to the truckers to pay for their fuel on that, God bless them. But boy, you know, I at the end of the day, where is this money going? And you can, I'll bet dimes to donuts that that money isn't going to go to the truckers and the protesters. That's going to go in somebody's pocket. You can bet on it. Well, that's I'm not familiar with this. I've never used GoFundMe, but my understanding is that it goes to the people that are targeted. In other words, they don't have a whole lot of oversight over this. Uh, with the, I'm talking about the people at GoFundMe initially. They, they they tried to freeze it, and they apparently they've you know asked for some sort of a game plan for this. And I guess they were satisfied that they got that. But if it's supposed to go for lodging and for the cost of fuel for these people that just came across the country, the estimates we've heard from uh, from officials, uh, not from the people in the in the protest themselves, is there may be a hundred hundred and fifty vehicles involved in this. Uh, that's not going to cost six million dollars for fuel. So you know where's the rest of the money going to go? That's it. You know, if it, it, you know, if they take it and give it to a charity or whatever, uh, or feed the homeless, terrific. But that that money, that's where that's where I'll be very interested to see where that go, and we may never ever find out. No, uh, and again, because like I say, there's no audit going to be happening or anything else. You just have to kind of take people at their word, and uh, I, I think there's a lot of people very skeptical about that right now for a whole lot of reasons. So. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping, you know, we can look back on this on Monday and say, well, you know, they had their say and that's great and let's move on. 
and, and try to get over this thing. But, I mean, if things get out of hand like they did in Washington, I don't know, some people are actually even uh, concerned about that from some of the tweets they've seen from some of the people that are supporting this right now, uh, suggesting they do the exact same thing again. I, I hope that's not going to happen. Uh, I think it's a very real threat, Bill. I do, too. I'm, I'm concerned. And I know uh, Ottawa police are concerned about this. And we've heard some stories that uh, maybe the military is, is on alert right now, too. They may be called in in situations like that. I just don't want to see that in our capital. But who knows? Yeah, I, I, yeah, exactly. Well, let's be Canadian. I hope so. Uh, as always, thanks so much for this. Uh, listen, have a good weekend. Uh, stay inside, stay warm, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks again, Richard. Thanks, Bill. Bye-bye. Richard Brennan, of course, uh, from uh, the Toronto Star, the Torstar newspaper chain, uh, who covered this. Uh, he was up on Parliament Hill for many, many years and saw a lot of protests. at Queen's Park, too. I mean, that's happening. You know, during the Harris years, the protests uh, during the Bob Ray years, there were protests on the front line of, of Queen's Park. Uh, certainly a few of them over Dalton McGuinney's time as, as Premier of the province of Ontario. And that's part of democracy. They've got the right to do that, and, and we encourage it an awful lot of the time for, for you know legitimate reasons. But you have to question the motivation of an awful lot of the people that are going to be in Ottawa this weekend. Hopefully things aren't going to spin out of control. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. To those people that, that suggested, well, this is no big deal, this COVID stuff, it's all a scam. I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to ask you to do something for me. And more importantly, I'm going to ask you to watch a television program on Global tomorrow. And uh, it's called The New Reality. And it's going to take you inside uh, a, a facility uh, that's dealing with people that have had COVID. Uh, and it's something that we need to talk about. Uh, you know, people that say this is no big deal. It's no worse than getting a cold or a flu. Listen to some of the stories. It's, this is an incredible program, of course, the investigative reporting that goes on uh, on the new reality. And to talk to us about tomorrow's program, we're so pleased to welcome back to the program, Carolyn Jarvis, Chief Investigative Correspondent for Global News. Uh, Carolyn, pleasure to have you back on the program. I hope you're doing well these days. I am doing well. Thanks for having me. Excellent. I'm intrigued about this because we've heard so many stories, and I guess because of the skepticism people are feeling, and I guess the COVID burnout, that, oh, come on, this is not no big deal. Uh, you're going to talk to some people and, and show us and tell some stories about people that are living with COVID long after they've been let go from the hospital. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people, myself included, heard those daily radio updates. I'm sure maybe college have announced a handful of them over the past two years where they would tell you how many people were in hospital. And that was, for many people, a gauge, a metric for how bad the pandemic was, 800 people mm -hmm. in the ICU or 800 people in acute care hospitals. But what I came to learn was that what those numbers did not capture were all the people who were discharged from acute care beds because those beds were so scarce, but only to be admitted to a second type of hospital, a rehabilitation hospital. So they didn't go home. The numbers weren't counted in these rehab hospitals, only counted when they were in acute care hospitals. But they still were in a hospital, and rehab hospitals to many became the invisible hospitals of the pandemic. It wasn't the front line, wasn't capturing headlines, nobody was talking about them, and one doctor called me called them, as I said, the invisible patients, the invisible hospitals. And here they stay for weeks, and in some cases months, fighting to get well enough to go home in the end. How this is it's a key part of this. You're absolutely right. I can't understand why these things aren't being chronicled and detailed when we talk about the impact that it has. We've heard all sorts of phrases, Carolyn, ever since this thing all started. But long COVID, for instance, and and lingering effects is 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 that who we're talking about here? The people that that are not well enough to go home. In other words, are they still seeing symptoms, or are these uh, very serious concerns that that are they're, they're still carrying with us? Conditions that have developed because of COVID. Yeah, long haulers is an all-encompassing term. So some yeah. long haulers, uh, and 
admittedly, for a time, I was one of them. I had COVID back in the spring. Unfortunately, I contracted through my kids' daycare. And for three months, I felt like my throat was on fire. I wasn't so sick that I ever needed to be hospitalized, nor was I ever in a rehab hospital. And for many, you have this sort of nagging or feeling of weakness or fatigue that can last months. But for the sickest, I mean, the real sickest of the COVID patients who are in acute care beds, who are on ventilators, who are in the ICU, they can be so impacted that once they are discharged from acute care, they can't go home. And sure, you could qualify that as long haul and that it's they're hauling for the long term, but they just aren't well enough to even be able to function in their own homes. So it's not usually who we think of when we talk about long haul symptoms. This is a different class of far more severe patients. And it's a fraction of those who end up in the ICU, but still thousands of people in Ontario alone, 3,000 patients in Ontario since the start of the pandemic have ended up in these rehab hospitals. What do, what are we going to see when we, we follow you through those doors tomorrow and, and, and get some of these stories? How do they classify the people that are they're being cared for there? Are, are they in critical condition, serious condition? I mean, that's the you know the, the, the bar that we usually associate with, you know, we're in the hospital. What kind of condition? Are they going to recover or are these mild symptoms or are these life-threatening symptoms? Well, so it's quite a range. Uh, take, for okay. example, Toronto Grace Hospital in, in the middle of Toronto. Uh, they opened up a third floor ventilator unit for COVID. This is a floor for people who are on ventilators long term. And we profiled one person who came from acute care hospital, was admitted to Toronto Grace, and she was still living on a ventilator in this rehab hospital. And we chronicled her journey as she was slowly weaned off the ventilator and her tracheostomy tube was removed, and she finally learned how to breathe on her own, walk on her own. She could, she learned how to speak again, eat again, like some of the most fundamental things that we all take for granted every day. They had to reteach their bodies how to do these things. Other patients we chronicled came to rehab in, in a far more better state, a more advanced state, where they were learning things like walking on a treadmill, uh, being able to get off the oxygen tank. So there's quite a range, but in some cases, yes, to your point, it can be quite severe where they're still on ventilators while in the rehab hospital. And a lot of that is because there are so few ICU beds available that they want to make them available for the new COVID admission patients. It's it's so important to, to have these discussions because we do hear about, as you mentioned, the long COVID, and we know people can develop cardiac problems, myocarditis. Uh, the Canadian soccer player, Alfonso Davies, is dealing with that now. He's 22 years old. Uh, but we figured, okay, yeah, you can take medication for that. And, uh, but these are people that have been so devastated. I mean, their bodies have been devastated by, by COVID. And uh, this this is, like you say, it's, it, it's as if they had a major car accident or something and they have to learn to walk again or eat again. Their, their body has been ravaged. Oh, completely ravaged. I mean, the fundamentals. We we spent months with uh, a gentleman by the name of Sean Balcaran, and he's a mechanic. He's worked two jobs his entire life. He's got five adult sons at home, well, not at home anymore, and he was fit as a fiddle, uh, 53 years old, and he contracted COVID, hadn't take, take, didn't take the virus seriously, all that seriously before, just thought it was a flu, he said. He thought it was a joke. He thought it was just the old people or people with other ailments who were getting sick, and he got it, and now, as a mechanic, his hands don't work, literally don't work. He can't pick up a fork, let alone change a tire if he goes back to being a mechanic again. His whole livelihood is threatened. His finances are decimated, and, and his outlook, I have to tell you today, is completely changed. Now he will say to you, COVID is not a joke. This is something you need to take seriously. He wasn't wearing a mask. He was going anywhere he wanted. And, man, he got so sick that his wife was told at one point that he may be brain dead. 
uh, and he's fought all the way back. I mean, he's in a state where he could go home, but he's heavily reliant on his wife for functioning. Carolyn, I guess everybody's an individual story when, when you start talking about these conditions because they vary from individual to individual. But generally, what is the prognosis? Are these people expected to recover fully after they go through this rehab, however long that might be? Or, or is there a possibility some of them may simply have to live with this for as long as they're on this earth? Well, the hope is that they will recover. That's for sure. I mean, some of the cruelest impacts of COVID is the nerve damage that people experience. So Sean, who I just spoke about, his the nerves in his hands are damaged, and doctors are saying that could take two to three years to heal. So is it always going to be that bad? Probably not. Will it take a considerable length of time? Yeah. And this is a guy who's already been in the hospital for, you know, three quarters of the year already. So it, it is it is the longest of the long haul when it comes to the after effects of COVID. Uh, but fortunately, in these cases, we do think eventually these are people who will heal. At least that's the hope. In other long haulers who are still feeling fatigued months and months later, they may not be out of the worst yet. And so we don't necessarily know, have enough of a runway in front of us with the virus to know what the end game will be and whether they will ultimately heal. But that's certainly the hope, of course. These are stories that we, we need to be aware of, and, and I'm so glad that you guys were able to do this. Uh, it's uh, going to be on the air tomorrow, 5.30 our time, of course, no, uh, here in the East. No, 8 o'clock. New eight, 8 o'clock, okay. All right, I'm, I'm checking the wrong TV guide here. It's called The New <laughs> Reality on Global TV, uh, 8 o'clock, and uh, it's it's a, a must-watch TV. We've got to understand this. You want to get an understanding of COVID, uh, don't listen anecdotally to somebody who said it's no big deal. Watch this program and get an idea of just what these people are dealing with. Carolyn, thanks so much for the time. Great talking with you again. Stay well. Thanks, Bill. You too. Take care. Carolyn Jarvis, Chief Investigative Correspondent at uh, Global News. You're listening to the Bill Kelly Show podcast on 900 CHML. We uh, mentioned a little while ago that, uh, you know, here we are in January, still talking about Canadian football. <laughs> the Great Cup wasn't that long ago, really. Uh, but free agency is is upon us. It will be anyway uh, in the first week of February. Uh, which means all the teams right now are, are making some pretty important decisions and sometimes some pretty difficult decisions uh, about who's going to stay, who's going to be going someplace else, and who is going to part ways with them. And it was a, a tough day for Hamilton Tiger Cat fans uh, when we found out that uh, the Brandon Banks, Speedy Banks, and the Tiger Cats have decided to, uh, oh, the quote I think it was, mutually part ways. So he's not going to be playing football in Hamilton next year. And uh, I just looked at some of the outpouring of emotion on social media over the last uh, 24 hours or so. And uh, I'm not surprised by that. I mean, he was obviously a fan favorite. Joining us to talk about this is uh, Rick Zamperin. Rick, of course, is the host of Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML. He's also the host of the fifth quarter, which is heard after every Tiger Cat game uh, on the radio. Uh, Rick, thanks for staying around, staying up late with us here today to talk about uh, I, a Tiger Cat legend, really. I mean, this is a guy that, that really made his mark in this city and on this football team. Absolutely. This is, uh, you know, when the news came down yesterday, it wasn't it wasn't 100% unexpected, you know, with the COVID era upon us, with the down year that Brandon Banks had in 2021, with, with the salary that he was making, uh, and with his age. You know, those factors all played a part in both sides coming together to say, all right, so we'll uh, we'll uh, agree to you know go our separate ways. But in in saying that, this is perhaps 
the most electrifying player in a Ticats uniform ever. I think many of us can make that argument. He certainly brought us out of our seats, made us cheer, made us go well. Uh, our jaws dropped left, right, and center at some of the amazing punt return and kickoff return and receiving and rushing touchdowns that he scored, uh, missed field goals for touchdowns. He was absolutely electric, and this team just won't be the same. There aren't many speedy bees in the Canadian Football League, and he was truly a special talent. I mean, there have been some guys that have had this ability and this talent uh, in the league, uh, Gizmo Williams in Edmonton some yeah. years ago, and, and some other guys uh, that just, you know, because the kickoff is, is one of, or the punt return, especially in this Canadian league, is one of the most exciting plays. And and you could honestly say, Rick, because uh, I know you talked about this on the fifth quarter a lot, there was a, a potential and a, and a pretty strong possibility that this guy could score every time he got his hands on the football. I mean, he, he was that good. Uh, it didn't matter what the coverage was like on a punt return or a kickoff or whatever it is. He found a way, and it was just remarkable to see the, the ability that this guy had. He had, in his career, 78 receiving touchdowns, 45 rushing touchdowns, seven via the punt return, one on a kickoff return, and five on missed field goals. Every time he had his hands on the football you had a sense of something amazing was going to happen because of the raw speed, the intelligence that he had in the game, and and using those two factors on the bigger field. I mean, we saw it in his NFL days early on in his football career yeah. at the pro level, but we really saw it in the CFL. That extra yardage, that uh, even with the extra guy, uh, he was amazing to watch and really made his name in that special teams kind of arena. Uh, every time he was back there, you knew something remarkable could happen. And when June Jones a couple of years ago said, you know what, uh, we're, we're O and H. we're going to you know shift gears here, we're going to put people in different places. He said, hey, Brandon Banks, I know you've done some rushing and receiving here and there, but we're going to make you a full-time receiver. And that really put Banks on another level because here is this dangerous special teams guy who gets to exercise his talents in a new form. Uh, and, you know, the, the offense went from uh, one level to another, and it was really a feared unit, not only the rest of that season, but really since that time. Well, because I know you fielded phone calls on the fifth quarter about this, and because the question always was, what took them so long? Yeah. Uh, I, that was one of the great frustrations among Tiger Cat fans when Ken Austin was the coach. That was the odd play that Banks would come in and play offense, but it didn't happen very often, and he was usually pretty successful at it, and we kept saying, well, why not do that more often? And the argument always was, the guy's 150 pounds. I'm not even sure if he even weighs that. Uh, you know, he's going to get broken if you put him, but, but he wasn't. Uh, and, and he had this ability uh, when he got the ball, I mean, and some guys just go full out all the way. He'd change speeds. He'd slow down. He'd pivot. Uh, I, he just had this uncanny knack for knowing what to do it. And when he decided to hit the afterburners, there was nobody in this league could catch him. Yeah, and the other thing, too, I mean, uh, aside from his physical talents and the knowledge of the game, he made other players around him better. So whether it was Luke Tasker or Andy Fantuz or you go down the list, now defenses were paying a little more attention to Brandon Banks because he was that game-breaker all the while. Uh, you know, quarterbacks for the Tiger Cats were saying, all right, you want to focus on that double-team speedy deal or another guy is going to be open. And that really, I think, made this offense blossom into what we have seen over the last three, four, five seasons. So um, and not only that, that uh, that leadership quality that he had in the locker room. You know, he was a guy who showed and, and, and uh, you know, passed the baton, so to speak, to the younger guys on the team through example and how he played on the field. And I think that is going to be, you know, a little piece, a little nugget that's going to be missed in that locker room. 
Well, our, our seats, as I've talked many times, our, our season tickets uh, are in, just up from the Ticat Adventure, about 12, 13 rows up. So you get to see some of the interaction that's going on there. And uh, Speedy was always one of those guys, by the way, that was waving the towel, getting the fans going. Uh, and, you know, he didn't sit on the bench. And it wasn't because he was an egomaniac or anything. He used to sit over the Gatorade thing. Then yeah. they actually had a little bench for him there, and they put the helmet on and uh, on there, and, and that's where he'd watch the game from. So anybody that wanted to go talk to him, he, okay, he's over there, and coaches would do that, others. But he had this uncanny knack for getting the other guys on the team uh, fired up. And I can't tell you, you know what else I'm going to miss since we're talking about, you know, the, the home games? I'm going to miss his mom, uh, Mama Speedy, mm-hmm. uh, Mama Banks, who would come drive up from for the home games. This is pre-COVID, of course, and bring Brandon's son. which And he had his own Ticat shirt, too. I'm yep. sure the fans remember it said Little Speedy on the back. And uh, he, he'd go down on the field before the game, of course, but they were in the front row right behind the Ticat bench. And she was she was just fabulous. I enjoyed our conversations. I talked to her after, you know, during every game and, and the pregame. Uh, and, of course, we haven't seen her since COVID, obviously, with, with what's going on. But that was all part of the Tiger Cat experience and the game day experience, too. This is a guy that came up here, and I know he mentioned this in the letter that uh, that he published after this, uh, thanking the Tiger Cats and thanking the fans. He embraced this city, and the city embraced him right back. I mean, he was a real part of this community. Yeah, you never got the sense from Brandon that he was always eyeing a return to the NFL. And he had, yeah, he had some success with the Washington football team back yeah. in the day. And, you know, coming up here, some, you know, some American players come up here thinking, all right, this is just going to be a stepping stone. I'll be back in the big show down south in a, in a year or two. And, you know, sometimes that doesn't happen. And sometimes that doesn't happen for a good reason, because you're so exceptional up here that teams will pay you the big bucks like Brandon was getting in the last few years of his career. And he, you know, wins accolades, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, most outstanding player a couple of years ago. You know, rookie of the year, special teams player of the year, all these, you know, accolades and awards come his way. You know, that gets you to thinking, it would get anyone to thinking, wow, okay, I'm, I'm making a difference here. I'm impacting the game. I'm, I'm, uh, you know, uh, blazing a trail to one of the league's legendary players. And he certainly is that, you know, eight seasons in this league, all with Hamilton. He's 34. He might have a season or two left if he wants to continue playing. Where that will be is anyone's guess. He can fit really on any roster. It'll come back to his desire to keep on playing and for how much he wants to do that for. The problem with professional athletes in, in almost every endeavor, uh, quite frankly, is oftentimes they don't know when to call it a career. And and it, it pains me as a fan, and I know it does you, uh, to see somebody hanging around too long. And, and you know, because it, it really tarnishes their, their their career to a certain extent to say, you know, they, they used to be 10 times better than this. They're just kind of hanging on. And that, that he was not like that at all. Uh, he still contributed last year. He got a touchdown on the Grey Cup. I mean, he was he was there. But as you mentioned, he's been hurt a lot the last couple of seasons and, and injuries that have really been prohibitive to his play, rib injuries and things like that where he can't perform. But I, I think it was also pretty obvious to most of the fans last year, though, Rick, that uh, they were preparing for this day. Uh, I mean, we had a pretty good core of receivers. And it was pretty obvious from the performance of a couple of them that, hey, yeah, that's, that's the guy who's going to take Speedy's job next year. Uh, so I, I, I agree with you totally. I don't think this was totally unexpected and because, you know, we're in pretty good shape when it comes to guys that can catch the football and return kicks and everything else. Uh, they've, they've planned for this and they've brought some of those guys along, but it's gotta be difficult. And I, I think you saw that yesterday with Orlando Steinauer's uh, reaction to this, uh, to say goodbye to somebody like this. Uh, you know, this is one of the, the, you know, as Scott Mitchell told me, he said one of the dirty parts of the football game in, in general is just, is 
you know, they're human beings mm-hmm. and you develop a relationship with people. And sometimes you have to say, well, it's over. And, and that's tough. Yeah, it, it is tough. And, you know, from a team perspective, you mentioned it, you know, some of the talent at the receiving core alone, whether it's Braylon Addison, uh, Stephen Dunbar Jr., Jalen Acklin, who's also a free agent and is probably going to come back, I would imagine. Uh, Poppy White, Tim White, you know, all these guys. Uh, yeah, are, the white boys. I mean, you know, yeah. they, they both, and when they signed Poppy White again this year, I figured, well, that, that kind of seals it, I think. Yeah, I mean, younger, um, uh, cheaper, you know, more affordable, whatever the use you want to, uh, whatever the word you want to use, that falls into that category. They can really get two, maybe even three guys if they're paying them, you know, a base salary for what they were paying uh, Brandon Banks. So now your your depth is a little bit better. You may not be as explosive or as dangerous as what Brandon Banks would bring to the table. But again, he's 34. Last year was a very difficult season for him from an injury front. You remember, you uh, mentioned the, the rib injury. He was not 100%, not even close to being 100%. I'm not even sure how, how close he was to being 50%, but he was still out there more often than not. Made an impact when he did touch the football um, at the end of the day every, you know father time gets everyone and it has gotten Brandon Banks at least from a Ticats perspective if he does show up on another team it's going to be very interesting to watch a if he stays healthy and if he does how much more damage he can do on the gridiron yeah because he's, he's still got it and he's still got game. oh yeah I mean he he's, he's still a game breaker uh, you know, but I mean, Frankie Williams hopefully is going to be back and, and you say the the two white you know Pappy and, and Chris and so I think they're in pretty good shape. But nonetheless, it's still a difficult decision to make, not just from a football standpoint, but uh, but certainly from a personal standpoint, because uh, he loved everybody. I mean, mm-hmm. and they loved him right back, of course, on the team and, and right up through the managerial level, too. I mean, he was uh, just a guy that uh, that you had a lot of time for. Yeah. But the reality of football is here's this pile of money. You know, you got this salary cap. How do we spend this money to get the best possible football team on the field? And you got to make some tough choices. And 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 Speedy was a, a tough one. Uh, I guess we got a minute or so left, but we we can finish this off. I think on a positive note because uh, with pending free agents, we're always wondering about okay, are these guys going to come back? And and clearly, you know, Speedy Banks won't be coming back to the Tiger Cats. Uh, but another fan favorite is uh, that you just found out about this morning. Yeah, it's Simone Lawrence signing uh, a one-year contract with the Tiger Cats to uh, resume playing in black and gold for the 2022 season. The team's all-time franchise leader in uh, defensive tackles and total tackles, really the heart and soul of the defense, maybe the heart and soul of the team, period. And another, I think, iconic Tiger Cats player who for years has left everything out on the field, has not ended up with a trophy at the end of of the year, but certainly has represented this city and this team remarkably well, and glad to see the the big smile back in in black and gold for 2022. It's going to be interesting to see because he really, I mean, uh, over the last I think five six years has brought his game to a new level. You know, Eastern Division Defensive Player of the Year two years in a row. One of these times, I would think, is going to be the Defensive Player of the Year. But here's another guy who is on the wrong side of 30, as they say in the football world, 32, going on to. 33 very soon, February 1st, I believe is his birthday. Um, but a guy who still is very effective. Uh, you, you could say he was one of the best defensive players in the CFL period. So playing at a high level, and uh, yeah, it's, it's great to see that he's uh, still going to be in Hamilton. Well, part of the problem, I, I love Simone to pieces. I mean, but uh, he also, by the way, leads the league in trash talk. Uh, nobody, <laughs> yeah. nobody gets on people like like Simone Lawrence does. And, and which maybe is one of the reasons why he hasn't won too many awards. Yeah. Because uh, he's. 
he's one of these things where you know if he's on your team you love him if he's not if you're on the other side of the field you hate him uh, because he's always in your face first of all he's brilliant he's a great athlete a great football player but he's always got something to say to everybody and and just get rub them the wrong way and I don't know how many times we've seen uh, guys get flagged there because of, of you know that they retaliate about something Simone has done or said or something like that and uh, that's that's part of his game and it's it's been very very effective for him. Uh, so I'm glad he's coming back. I'm glad, as you say, to see that big smile on the bench. And uh, and it's going to be kind of fun to see. And, of course, his Twitter account, too. Anybody that follows Simone on Twitter, uh, <laughs> there's always some pretty, shall we say, insightful things uh, yeah. that uh, that he puts on Twitter. So that's that's good news. And I'm, we're hoping, I guess, Rick, that there's going to be some more like that because uh, we've lost some pretty good guys to free agency. Uh, Kalinich, of course, is going to go try his, his hand down in the uh, in the American football uh enterprise down there i think he's has he signed with the colts yet or yeah that's the he, rumor i'd heard yeah he's a practice roster spot with the colts and, and, and you know a number of cflers looking down south to that same degree Devonte deadman a great special teams guy with ottawa signing yeah. with the dolphins earlier this week and you mentioned free agents there are some other guys i know we got to run here but you know don jackson might be at the top of the list jagera davis uh, also towards the top of the list for the tie cats ted laurent you know that's a question mark whether he's going to be back or not but uh, every team in the cfl has dozens literally dozens of free agents there trying to sign and it's a very active time is uh, the february uh, free agency window encroaches very very soon well and as you guys have talked about on, on the fifth quarter a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know they used to sign three four five year contracts nobody does that yeah, anymore yeah. one year contract two year contracts uh which means they you know they come due a lot faster than they used to and so that's all you get these these plethora of free agents every year so it's uh, exciting times and uh some nail-biting times i guess to see who's going to be back or not and uh uh, we'll keep uh, our fans posted on that. Uh, Rick, as always, thanks so much for this. Great talking with you today. You got it. Enjoy the weekend. You betcha. Rick Samper, the host of Good Morning Hamilton on 900 CHML and the host of the fifth quarter, which is heard, of course, after every Tiger Cat game. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML. The Bill Kelly Podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts from. You can also listen to The Bill Kelly Show weekdays from 9 till noon on 900 CHML. I'm Bill Kelly. Thanks again for listening. And don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. It's free, so you never miss an episode. And make sure that you rate and review.